Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. A bad word, a word that I always thought of as a bad word when I was growing up, and that word is discipline. Yeah, because I was often disciplined as a child. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about discipline like, yeah, you've done something wrong and you're sent to your room and you promise you won't do it again or you're going to get a spanking. That's not the type of discipline that I, that I want us to talk about today. Today, the type of discipline I want to talk about is, is those things that we do that, that we do them now and they're kind of hard to do. In fact, the the definition that we're going to use uh, today as we talk about discipline is this. Discipline is the things that now are hard to do, but later are good for you. Now they're hard to do, but later they're good for you. So there are things like, you know, go to bed earlier, wake up earlier, um, eat less, exercise more, spend less, save more have a budget, spend time with your family, you know, all of those good things that sometimes in the now and in the here that they're hard to do. They're hard. But later on, they end up being things that are good for you. Now, the interesting thing about disciplines is that for many disciplines, they start out as something that you really have to have determination to do, but they end up being um, habits that we actually enjoy. Or they become hobbies or, or even obsessions. Uh, if there are any of you in here who like to run. Yeah, I see you. Um, I am not one of you. Uh, or how about those of you who are in here who like to, uh, who are cyclists? Anybody? Good. Because I don't like that either. The tires always seem way too thin for me. But those things, oftentimes, they start out as disciplines, as things that we don't really want to do, but we start doing them, and eventually, they come to be things that we really, really love to do. And the interesting thing about disciplines is this, is that if you enter into, you, you take on a discipline, you always make progress. You always make progress. And disciplines always result in progress, even if you have a bad attitude about it. You don't have to have a good attitude to do a discipline and for you to see results. And the other thing about disciplines is that oftentimes, especially financially, oftentimes disciplines end up and result in us having freedom. And so disciplines are a good thing. There are things that you, um, that you do, but t- it's, it's all about delayed gratification. Like you, you do something now or you don't do something now so that you can do something better later on. Uh, Dave Ramsey, who is a financial consultant, and, and uh, I, I love this guy, read all of his books. He has a saying, if you've ever listened to his radio show or watched him on TV, he says it all the time. And this is what he says. He says, live like no one else now, live like no one else, so that later on you can live and give like no one else. And what he's talking about is delayed gratification. He's talking about putting aside the things that you want now so that you can have something better for you later on. And so we've been in this series. Uh, actually, we are right in the middle of this series that we've called five things that God uses to grow your faith. And these aren't found anywhere in the Bible. There's no list. Moses didn't come 
off of another mountain with a list of these five things. This is just something that over the years people have looked at and said that there are basically these five areas where we've seen God grow faith. And so we started off our series by talking about practical teaching, that if you listen to people's stories and you listen to how it is that their faith grew or how they came to faith, one of the things that they would tell you is is that they uh, came to a place where they sat down and they uh, heard practical biblical teaching, whether it was in a church or whether it was in a group or whether it was somebody one-on-one, that that the things that they had heard before, maybe that they'd heard their entire lives about what Scripture says, about what the Bible says, didn't mean anything to them. And then finally they sat down in a place and they listened to this guy or they listened to this girl or, or they watched this podcast and all of a sudden it made sense to their lives. And then last week we talked about providential relationships, how many people who, who have been Christians, who've had their faith grown, one of the things that they can say about their stories as they look back, they can see where people have dropped into their lives. It's almost as if God specifically put a person right there into their lives for them to interact with them. And that interaction, that relationship grew their faith. Uh, The third one is private disciplines. We're going to talk about that today. And then we're going to go on with personal ministry. The people will talk and say about the first time that they went out and they volunteered in their local church or the the first time that they went out and they volunteered in, in a community service event. And then The final one is pivotal circumstances, how there are circumstances that come into our lives that change our lives and that they have the ability to just explode our faith. But today we're going to be talking about private disciplines. And private disciplines is basically this. And when you hear people talk about their story, about about their faith journey, one of the things that you will hear them say is that uh, their faith grew when the first time they, they started to make quiet time. Or they started their personal devotional time with God. That that discipline of spending time with God every day was one of the catalysts that grew their faith. Another one is that that people will talk about how when they became disciplined in giving. When they became disciplined in surrendering part of what God gave them. That when they were able to release that hold that it had on them. That they were able to grow their faith. And these are, are things that, that happen and they don't have to happen with a good attitude. And that's the great part of it. You, the scripture, and if you've been in church for a while or if you've been around people who know the Bible, you've probably heard uh, many, many times somebody say, God loves a cheerful giver. Well, I will tell you this. I've never run into a person who, is a, who, who has engaged in the discipline of giving that they say when they started giving that they were cheerful. For most people, when they start giving, they are not cheerful. They are not happy. They are not thrilled at all. But what they will tell you is this, is that as they started these practices, as they started uh, seeing how their faith intersects with their finances, when they start seeing how the devotional time that they spend at the beginning of every day starts to come up, that they've seen their faith grow. And so the private disciplines, and that's what we're going to talk about today, these are the things that, that impact our faith and, and that have the ability to allow us to have our faith grow. And one of the things that we talk about, and especially with these two particular things, when we talk about prayer uh, and, and quiet time with God, or when we talk about uh, giving, one of the things that we tend to focus on is how they impact other people. In fact, for many people, when you pray, you very, most of your prayer is not about you. 
you ask a little bit here and there. But for most people who pray, if you look at their prayers, most of their prayers is about somebody else. I want to pray for my son, pray for my daughter, pray for my aunt, pray for my mom, pray for my dad. We're praying for other people. And even giving, for most people, giving is usually spurred by need. And that's part of our culture. That's why if you are ever up at 1 o'clock in the morning and you're watching television, I mean, not like, you know, the subscription television, but the actual broadcast television like we used to do years ago. You remember they used to have those uh, commercials where the, the dogs would come up and they would just be like really sad in a kennel somewhere and then... Uh, some famous actress who hasn't been on television for 20 years shows her face and she says, please give. Right? We, as a culture, tend to give where there is a need. But that's not what I'm talking about today. That's not what we're going to talk about today. In fact, that's not even where Jesus is going to lead us in, in the conversation that we're going to talk about as we look through this account of something that happened to him. It's not about need. Now, there's a component to that. But what we're going to see today is that what Jesus teaches is that our prayer time and, or our devotion time, the time that we spend with God and our giving have more to do with our faith than they have to do with helping other people. That they have more to do with how we trust God than they have to do with how they impact the lives of other people. And so what we're going to see is that as we talk about this, faith is it's essentially like a muscle. And if you don't use it, it's going to wither away. But like any muscle, you have to use it and you stretch it right to the to the extent that you can. You push it right to the end. And then as you rest a little bit, it heals and it gets stronger. And what we're going to look at today is is kind of understanding how that whole process works. So we're going to look at at something that Jesus taught. And and it's uh, it's an interesting thing because it's probably one of his most famous sermons. He was followed by a whole crowd of people. And as they got to the bottom of a mountain, he realized that they were all waiting for him to talk. So Jesus went up on the side of the mountain and started to preach this sermon. He was on a mountain. He was preaching a sermon on the mountain. Sermon on the Mount. That's what it's called. Some of you may have heard of it. So he's doing the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts, and he's going through all of these things. And then in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. He says, watch out. Now, when you tell somebody to watch out, we don't tell people to watch out when we're sitting at dinner and, and, and uh, you're talking about something that's going to happen five years from now, right? We tell people to watch out when there's something imminent that's going to happen that if you don't pay attention could be dangerous, And so this is Jesus talking, and he says this. He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. Now, that phrase, good deeds, in other places, it's called, they use the term acts of righteousness. And I've completely misunderstood this verse for most of my life because I didn't understand what he was talking about when he said good deeds. I thought he's talking about, you know, like helping an old lady across the street, rescuing a puppy. That's not what he's talking about here. In fact, as we're going to see, when he uses the phrase good deeds, what he's talking about is private disciplines. He says, don't do your good deeds publicly, your acts of righteousness publicly. Don't do your private disciplines publicly. They're not supposed to be public. 
They're supposed to be private, to be admired by others. And we probably all know people who do things simply to be admired by others. So Jesus is saying, listen, watch out for that. If you don't pay attention, this could be you. And especially in the day and age of social media, it's almost impossible now to not say and let the world know that you're doing something good. Even if you don't have an intention of it, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. And then he goes on and he says this. It's a very interesting thing. He says, for you will lose the reward from your father in heaven. And so somehow Jesus is making a connection with these good deeds, with these acts of righteousness, with what we're talking about today as private disciplines. He's making a connection between those private disciplines and somehow there is a reward that is coming from God. Now, it's easy to look at this and and especially if you've ever been here at Grace Point before, one of the things that you can say is that one of the things that we do not teach here is that if you do good things, that God rewards you. Because that's not how it always is. That's not how it works. God isn't a big slot machine that you just keep feeding quarters into. And if eventually, if you keep pulling it enough times, the jackpot is going to happen. That's not what we teach here. That's not what we believe. But look at what he says. He's saying that you'll lose a reward, that there is some kind of reward that comes to you when you do these private disciplines in private, where people don't, what was the word that they used? People don't, back me up because I forgot the word that they used. Admire, that's it. That they don't get admired. In other translations, the word that they use is honored, that people don't see what you're doing. Now, as we go through this, um, there's one thing I want to say. And for many of you, some of you who are here today, some of you who are watching us online and and you've been uh, here at Grace Point before, I know because I can see sometimes in your faces that there are things that I say when I'm up here and you look at me and you just nod your head because that, that... That sounds right, it feels right, it feels good. Other times, though, there are things that I say, and then some of you have a face like, no way, that's not really in the Bible. Or, no way, you're just making that up. And that's one of the reasons why we always put the texts on the screen, so that if you don't believe me, I'm hoping that you're going to go home and take out a Bible and, and take out a really thick Bible so you make sure that all the words are in it, and you open up that Bible and try to prove me wrong. But as we're going through what we're going to talk about today, if there is something in you that is resisting what I have to say, there's something in you that's saying, hmm, I don't know that maybe this isn't for me today. I want you to pay attention to that. I I don't want you to just dismiss that. I want you to think about what is it about what we're talking about today, about what the verses that we're going to be looking at today, what is it in them that is kind of making you feel like you have to push back a little bit on? Because today we're going to be talking about prayer and we're going to be talking about giving. And this is not a sermon on giving. We're not going to pass the bucket at the end. There's no capital campaign that we're starting. It's not a big fundraiser. Today what we're talking about is we're talking about faith. And so here is Jesus and he's saying that there is some kind of connection. And he doesn't tell us what it is. But he says that there's some kind of connection between doing these private disciplines privately and a reward 
from your Father in heaven. So he goes on to tell us now. He's told us that there's a connection. Now he's going to tell us what are these acts of righteousness? What are these good deeds? So he says this. He says, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do. Now, when he talks about someone in need, that is what they used to call in the old days, almsgiving. A-L-M-S, giving. It's all one word, almsgiving. Now, almsgiving was different from the tithe. In this century, uh, all Jewish people would follow what Scripture teaches and they would give 10% of their income to the temple to pay for the temple and to pay for the priests, the upkeep of the temple. That's not what this is talking about. In this time period, when he talks about giving to someone in need, almsgiving, what he's talking about was this practice that they had where outside of the temple, on the path going into the temple, the uh, poor... And the needy would line up along the edge of the path. And as people would walk into the temple, the poor and the needy on the sides of the path would cry out and ask for assistance. And it would line the whole street. And what people would do was that as they were going down, they would give above what they're going to give in the temple. They would give to the people in need but they're doing it as the hypocrites do. So what does he mean? What is hypocritical about the way that they're doing it? Well, he tells us. He says, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. You know anybody like that? Who does good things, but makes sure that everybody knows it? Who, uh, in this day they would be blowing trumpets. And, and the trumpets uh, that they're talking about there is a, is a thing called the shofar, which wasn't really a trumpet. It was a ram's horn that they had soaked uh, in, in oil to make it pliable and then pulled it long and cut off the two ends and they blew it as a trumpet. Blowing trumpets in the synagogues to call attention to their acts of charity. And then listen to what Jesus says. He says, I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will get. Now, isn't that interesting? He's saying that if they get the attention, what he was talking about before, that if they get the admiration, that if they get the honor, that is the reward that they're going to get. Now, I want you to hold on to that because we're going to look at, back at that a little bit later. But listen, Jesus is now connecting the reward that they're going to get instead with attention and honor from people. He says, I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. And then he says, but when you give to someone in need, and he says this interesting thing that many of you probably heard your entire lives and did not know that it was from the Bible. This is where it came from. He says, when you give someone in need, when you give to people who have a need, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, today, when we use that phrase, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, what we're talking about is is usually in a a business setting where one, one area of the company doesn't know what the other area of the company is doing. Or at home, uh, the wife doesn't know what the husband is doing. And they're, they're, acting to get, they're acting at the same time, but they're not acting coordinated. And so here he's saying, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. 
And this is what he's talking about. My left hand is giving to the poor. My right hand is waving really, really high so that everybody can see my left hand giving to the poor. He says, don't let your left hand know or your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This is why I I didn't do well in piano. So don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, do that, but don't, don't, don't. With the other side, try to get people's attention so they can see what you're doing. And then he says this. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, see, he's he's again equating private giving with a reward. Now. I know some of you are, are, are listening to this and you're thinking, so if I give privately, there's a reward. And that isn't what... See, I think our nature, because of the word reward, our nature is to think that it's talking about something financial, something material. Like, I, get, I give money and I will get money. And Jesus never makes that connection. And if you talk to people who, who talk about their faith journey, who have made the decision that they were going to be percentage givers, one of the things that they will tell you is this. They will say something like this. They'll say, you know, it's not that every time I give, I get something. But what I do know is, is that when I give... It, has no lo- it no longer is a discipline or something that I have to force myself to do. It's actually something that I have a joy in doing. And if you have trouble figuring out why this should work for you, why you should even consider this, let me tell you that I completely understand. Before Terry and I became uh, regular percentage givers, we also struggled with giving. We struggled with it. We didn't want to do it. And the reason that we didn't want to do it, the reason that it was so hard for us to take that step, and maybe for some of you who haven't been able to do it either, I think the reason that it's so hard to do it is because we don't believe this. We don't believe that if we give, that God, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven who knows us, who is intimately knowledgeable about who we are and every aspect of who we are, we don't believe that he is really going to see what we're doing and that he has a reward for us for doing it. We don't believe that. And part of the reason that we don't believe that is, is because it's hard to believe that. It's not easy to believe that. Here's an interesting thing. No matter where you are, if you're a Christian, no matter where you are on the spectrum, whether you've been a Christian your entire life or when you walk through that door, you heard the music and you said, okay, Jesus, I'm following you right now. No matter how varied you are on the spectrum, here is one thing that I know about everybody who is a Christian. That is, is that we have 100% total and complete faith in God for everything that happens to us after we take our very last breath. 
right? We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going to happen. But 100% of our faith and trust is in God for everything that happens from the moment we take our last breath through eternity. And so for some of us, we, we, we behave based on that. So there are some people who live and what they believe is, is if they live a good life now, they live a really, really good life now, that later on, they're going to have a good life. There are other people who believe that Jesus died for my sins and he accepted me with my sins and, and he saved me because of his death. And so that's what they believe. There are other people who believe, well, I am just going to throw good vibes out into the universe and hope for the best. And I'm not making fun of that. Everybody has their own belief system about what happens from the moment you die for the rest of eternity. And all of us hope that when we get to that point where we're walking towards the light, that when we get to the end of the road and there's the light, that there's going to be someone there that that someone that we meet there is going to have a smile on their face and that it's going to be a good place from a good light. Because, you know, fire has light too and you don't want to be there, right? So that's what we all hope. And we all have faith and trust 100% in God from what happens from the moment that we die until the moment, until throughout the rest of eternity. No question. You know why we have 100% faith? Because we don't have any other option. There's no other choice. You can't go, well, I'll either go where God's going or I'll go there. No, there is no there. You're either going to go or you're not going to go. I mean, it's not your choice. Your faith is in whatever happens next. And Jesus knows this. And what Jesus knows is that that is your faith from the time you die moving forward throughout eternity You see, but he also knows and he teaches this throughout scripture that from the moment that we die going backwards to wherever we are right now, wherever that may be right now, from that moment that we die up until today, our faith and trust is in money. Our faith and trust is in our careers. It's in our jobs. It's in our bank accounts. It's in our retirement funds. We have, especially here in the West, We have been raised in a culture that says you work really hard, you save your money, and you can control your circumstances and you can manage the uncertainty of life with your money. It may be hard to hear, but it's true. It's the culture that we live in. And so from the time of death through eternity, our faith and trust is in God. But from the time of death back to where we are right now, It's all about us and what I can do and what I can achieve and how much money I have. And what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, listen, right now, your faith and trust in your life is all on money. I want you to have faith and trust in me. And the only way that I am going to be able to push out what your faith and trust is in now and put me in that place is to mess with the thing that you have the faith and trust in now. And so he says, listen, if you're going to ever have faith and trust in me, you've got to stop having faith and trust in money. That's why he says you can't serve two masters. And the two masters that he talks about are what? God and money. 
Now, does he really mean money? Is he really talking about uh, pieces of paper with the faces of dead presidents on them? Dead presidents and Abraham Lincoln? No. Benjamin Franklin? Hold on, wait a second. Is there anybody else who is on there that's not a president? No, it's just Benjamin Franklin, right? And he's the important one. So is that what he's really talking about? When he says that you have to serve two, you can't serve two masters, it's either God or Benjamin Franklin? Is that what he means? No, that's not what he's talking about. See, the reason that he says money is because money is what our faith and our trust is in. It's in, and, and really when it comes down to it, it's not money that our trust is in. It's in our ability to manage our circumstances ourselves. And so Jesus is looking at this. And it's no different back then than it is today. The same situations arise back then as they did today. And so Jesus is looking at his experience and seeing the crowds and seeing the people that he's known his entire lives. And he's looking at you and me and he's saying the exact same thing. He's saying that, listen, if your faith and your trust is in money then you're never going to be free from the anxiety of not having enough money. You are never going to be free from the pressure of trying to get more money. You are never going to be free from the stress of wanting more and more and needing more and more money. And the only way for me to take that stress and that anxiety and that pressure off of you is to take the hold that money has on you off. And so that's why he says, I've got to push my way in there because I want you to have the same faith and trust in me that you have from the moment you die through eternity from the moment that you die up to where you are exactly right now. That's what I want. And then he goes on to say this, right? So he's talking about giving. And then he says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. So he's starting off the same way. But first he was talking about giving. Now he's talking about prayer. And he's not talking about the kind of prayer that we do throughout the day. Because many of us, in fact, even people who are new Christians or people who aren't Christians, pray throughout the day. Right? We'll, we'll pray for our, our, our child as they're walking out the door. Oh, please God be with them. Uh, we pray for our spouses when they're walking out the door. Oh, please God be with them. Right? We pray when we're in an airplane and it starts to nosedive and we say, oh God, please help me. Because even if you're not a Christian, I, you know, I, what was that saying? Everyone is a Christian when you're in an airplane crash. Right? Because it doesn't matter what you believe, when that plane is going down, everybody is saying, oh God, help me. It's not those kind of prayers. It's the kind of prayer and, and the time where we set aside time just for God. So he says, when you pray, when you're doing that intimate personal prayer, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. And so what, who, what are the hypocrites when it comes to prayer? He says, who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I've seen people like this. I struggle to not be like this. Especially because I get to stand up in front of people every week and pray. It's hard sometimes because it's easy for our prayers to become self-centered and when other people are listening for our prayers to become about ourselves. And so we hear people who pray like this and they're not praying for everybody. They're praying in front of everybody and they'll say, 
Oh God, please bless me because I've given so much in charity this month and I am just completely depleted of money, so please God bless me. Right? They, they, those are the type of public prayers that he's talking about. Where people are praying to get attention. Where everyone can see them. Where they can get noticed. In fact, that phrase, where everyone can see them, uh, the, the Aramaic word for that phrase is the word for attention. To get attention. So he says, if the people who love to pray publicly, the hypocrites, on the street corners in the synagogues where everyone can see them, he says, I tell you the truth, that the attention, that the honor from those other people, that the, the reward that they get for having people see them and think that they are so holy and religious because they're praying and they can hear their praying, he says, that is all the reward they will ever get. It's all the reward that they're going to get. But Jesus says, listen, but when you pray, don't be like them. When you pray, he says, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. And then the same way that he did it when he was talking about giving, he wraps it up exactly the same way when he talks about prayer. He says, then your father who sees everything, your father who sees you, when you go and lock yourself up in the closet or go into the guest bedroom or go out into the living room, your father who sees everything will reward you. Your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, listen, if you talk to people, if you talk to Christians who, who have been praying their entire lives, who've, who've really developed a very rich personal devotional time with God, if you ask them what that reward is, when, when he says, then your father who sees everything will reward you, when you ask them what that reward is, what they'll tell you is this. They'll tell you that the reward isn't that every prayer that I pray, God answers. They'll say, no, no, that's not what the reward is. But what they will tell you is this. They will tell you that after months and years of having a rich, personal, devotional time with God, that they leave that moment, that morning, they leave there with the confidence and trust in knowing that God, their Father in heaven, sees them and has their attention. You see, that's the reward. And if you ask them, they say, I don't know what the reward is. And Jesus really never tells us what the reward is. But when you talk to people who have developed a rich prayer life, when you talk to people who have developed a very, very uh, consistent percentage giving uh, discipline, what they will tell you is, is that they don't always get everything that they've asked for, that everything doesn't fall in place as they think that it should in their lives. But what they will tell you is that they can walk through life, that they can face circumstances, they can experience uncertainty and know and have that quiet confidence that God sees them and that there is some kind of, of reward and, and, and that he, he gets their attention from doing it. 
And the great thing about these disciplines, you know, we've been talking here, and, and, and the interesting thing is all of these other things that we, we're going to be talking about, that we've talked about before, there's really nothing that you can do for those. You know, you, you can't insert yourself intentionally into a providential relationship. You can't create a pivotal circumstance. But the private disciplines are one thing that we can actively engage God in and that can make a difference in our lives and grow our faith. And the great thing about it is this, is that if you take a discipline and you add a good attitude, you will get results. If you are disciplined in one of these disciplines and you have a good attitude about it, you'll see results. That's good. But the great part is this, is that when you take the discipline and you have a bad attitude about it, you still see results. I hate going to the gym. My daughter drags me there twice a week. And every time I'm walking up the stairs to go there, I have a really, really bad attitude. But I still see results. And for most people who do these two disciplines, what they will tell you is is that when they started, it wasn't easy and they had a bad attitude about it. Nobody starts off giving cheerfully. Nobody starts off enjoying waking up 15 minutes earlier to spend time with God. No one does that. But every single person who has made that a part of their lives, they will tell you that when they started doing it, they had a bad attitude about it. But now on the other side of a week from it, on the other side of a month from it, on the other side of 10, 15, 20 years from it, that that discipline has turned into a joy. That they will tell you, I can't imagine starting my, way, my day any other way. They'll say, I can't imagine managing my finances any other way. I can't. They started out as a discipline. They ended up being a joy. And so what I want to leave you with today is I want to give you a challenge. For the next 30 days, and if you don't want to do 30 days, then do five days, do one week, but you should do 30 days. And what I'm asking you is this, is that you would say for the next 30 days, I'm going to give God my first few minutes and my first few dollars. Decide ahead of time what it's going to be. Any number of days, 30 days. See what I'm doing there? I'm giving you a choice and then I'm telling you what to do. 30 days. Give God a chance. 30 days. Give him your first few minutes. Decide right now what that's going to be. Maybe you'll do 15 minutes and you're only going to do it Monday through Friday so you can have the weekend off. That's fine. Decide what it's going to be and give him those first few minutes. And then give him your first few dollars. And don't just randomly come or randomly go online and give. Do it based on a percentage. And the reason is this is that if you give randomly, you're giving based on your circumstance. But if you give a fixed percentage, whatever that is, some people 10%, maybe yours is 5%, I don't care if it's 2%. But do it as a fixed percentage of your income for two reasons. Number one, it's not going to be based on your emotions or your feelings or your circumstances. But number two, and I, we have seen this in our lives. Many of you who I know have experienced this in your lives. When you set a percentage, you watch that number grow. Now, I'm not saying that you give and God gives, although there are places in Scripture where it says that. But what I'm telling you is this, is that when we decided that, we were, that our family was going to be 
a consistent percentage giver, that it was going to be a percent regardless of what is happening in our lives, that we saw that number grow. And as it grew, we increased the percentage. And as the percentage increased, the amount increased. Listen, if you don't trust me, if you think all I'm doing is trying to get money out of you, give somewhere else. Find another church somewhere. Find a ministry somewhere and give there. Because what I want for you to see is that God is faithful and he wants your trust. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't want your money. He wants to take the place of the thing that you and I have our faith and trust in most. So for the next 30 days, or however long, or 30 days, your first few minutes, decide ahead of time what it's going to be. And your first few dollars, decide ahead of time what percentage it's going to be. And flex that muscle and see what God is going to do and how he is going to explode your faith. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.